everybody. I'm Jenny Graham, Editorials Editor with the Tulsa World. I'm Bob Doucette, Editorial Writer. And we're just going to talk about some of the things that happened this past week and some of the things coming up this week. And uh, we should start with that our, uh, our, our most popular piece this week was an editorial we wrote um, after Secretary of Education Ryan Walters put out a tweet criticizing schools for closing due to COVID absences. And uh, I just happened to have tested positive for COVID the day, you know, the week before and my kids. And so I'm seeing firsthand how devastating this Omicron variant is with schools and, and to steal a, a, a description from one of our Ed Board members, it's like wind going through a porch screen. I mean, it's just devastating. So, <laughs> so our editorial board took him to task saying that, you know, this is just out of touch. I mean, he's, he basically was inferring that school administrators are scared and closing out of a reactionary uh, way and that parents want an in-person and by golly, they should have in-person. But the reality is it's never the, the first step. It's a last resort and they're desperate. So, I mean, what was your thoughts when, when you read that, Bob, I saw that you actually commented on the tweet. So I'm just, I'm yes, seeing it firsthand. So what was your thought? Well, I'm reading this and he's making it seem like everyone's just jumping the gun and saying, oh, we got to close. We got to close. And he's saying that we need to stay open, have, you know, in-person classes. And I'm just thinking, buddy, come on, man. Are you talking to these people? They're telling you that this is the last resort, but because they don't have people to staff the classrooms, they can't do this right now. I mean, my thinking behind that when I when I first saw it, I was like, is he talking to any of these people? Now I'm going to give him a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of credit. He showed up to substitute teach today at a classroom somewhere. I forget where. There's a charter so school in Oklahoma City. Oh, good. Yeah. I so, you know, he put his money where his mouth is just a little bit. But it still goes to the point that, I mean... You don't solve a problem, especially a really big problem, by pretending it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where we've been. And lo and behold, hey, we are sowing the fruits of our labor, so to speak, in terms of how our policy has gone on this kind of stuff. It, it's, so, it seems like the policy through this whole thing has been not the health of people, but the idea we got to keep parents in in at work. We got to keep the economy yeah. open first, and the schools are have to be open for that. Not because they need an education. Not that it's safer. And that that's what has bothered me is that yeah. safety has taken second to this whole thing. And I agree. I mean, as as a parent, when the kids are home, yes, you have to think things are awful. I mean, it's just you know, and especially with young kids, when you don't have, you can't leave them alone. But this. It's, it's not it's not really backing up the schools. And, and you know, I, I should also say that, that the school itself, there's nothing magical about the building. That, you know, mm. I know schools right now that there are so few teachers and they have no substitutes. So the kids they have, they're putting in an auditorium and giving them color sheets. That's not an education. That's babysitting. You know, right, right. now, my, kid, my kids are, they have schools open and they're watching, my daughter said she watched three movies today. 
because they, they're, I mean, a substitute is not a qualified teacher. And, and frankly, there are, and I've had principals tell me they've had subs come through that they'll never have again. Because one principal said, that person shouldn't be around children. So wow. a body is not just having subs and getting people there. It's, it's, this is not a way to, to do it safely or even for the benefit of kids. So that makes me wonder kind of what these folks actually think of who our educational education professionals are. I mean, do they just really believe they're there to watch your kids while you're at work? Or do they really believe that there's a mission behind a state constitutionally mandated thing to have people educated, have our kids educated? But these are trained professionals that are trying their hardest to do this right now. And I would reiterate that when you're in the midst of something like a pandemic, things are going to be hard for a while. People are going to have to be flexible for a while. And if that means the next couple of weeks while we're uh, spiking on Omicron, that things are a little rough, let's not pretend that it's not. Let's just not do that anymore. Yeah. Let's, and, let's and be real. How lucky are we to have uh, Dr. Braxler at OU? He is just... Mm -hmm. You know, the amount of information that the doctors themselves are, are putting out is astounding. I, I've, I'm still disappointed the state hasn't taken the lead on that. They've seemed to fight releasing information off and on. But Dr. Braxler has been out every day this week giving good information. And yep. and I uh, and he, today he, he was he was warning. Oh, I thought it was interesting. I, I, I was hearing that he was sort of warning about some of the national maps not being completely accurate with Oklahoma because of the lag time that our state takes in updating yeah. the county to county map. And, yep. and I think it wasn't our health department said they ran out of shades of red again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So, you know, I, and, and, and we, my family got COVID um, except for my husband and it's freakish. He's, he tested twice negative. All the, the, my kids and I had it. Um, and it's, it's the virus works weird, you know, the way it, it's hard on some people and it, others don't get it. And, you know, the whole, and I wrote a column on what it was like to get that. Cause I've been so careful and my family's been careful and I just got mad. I was just for days, yep. just mad. Like I couldn't, you know, it was hard to get a test, but you know, one of the, the feedback I got from that column was there are a couple of people that said, why are we even testing or why are we even vac vaccinating if we can still get the virus? So I, I was vaccinated, I was boosted, still got it. And so they were posing to me, well, you should be reporting that, that these vaccines are, are pointless because you can still get it. And, and, and one person was, was surprised because she, she had just found out that, that the vaccine doesn't prevent transmission. And, and it's like from the beginning, we've been reporting that. Mm -hmm. That yes, it, it works like you know the chickenpox virus or the flu or the vaccine the or the flu vaccine or the chickenpox vaccine that it lessens the symptoms, but you can still get it. And and I'm grateful I got it because it was just a sinus infection is what it felt like. So you know I, I'm still a huge proponent of vaccines and and uh, sure yeah, but but it looks like our our Supreme Court isn't as as in love with it. Not so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, they. Uh... At least, I mean, they they kept the mandates on the on the healthcare workers, but the workplace uh, uh, the workplace rule they said no go on that, and we uh, had some 
spiking the football a little bit from our state leaders on that one because they've been suing for overturning that mandate uh, for a little while now. So, hey. You know, that I always thought that was going to be a hard one, though, because yeah. anytime you start, the government starts telling private business what to do, it begins to be hard. Um, but one of the things that, that's, and I, and I do sort of understand HR departments all of a sudden were becoming like, you know, mini health inspectors because they had to, and I, I understand all that, but at the same time, because they kept the, the mandate for the healthcare workers, it, it does seem like there's some acknowledgement that different groups of people are more vulnerable and and for me, when I was thinking of, of, you know, when I had COVID and thinking of it, I was thinking of childcare programs and Head Start programs. Yeah. And, you know, those kids can't get vaccinated. And they're, especially with Head Start, they're coming from low-income families where healthcare is already either out of, you know, expensive, you know, out of reach. And so if, if children bring, you know, get COVID or bring it home to their families, it's even more devastating. And I think there was a court ruling that put it on hold. And I'm one of our state officials championed that like, yay, Head Start workers don't have to get a mandate. And I was floored by that because I think we have to recognize that there are some people like in healthcare facilities that are just more vulnerable. So I don't know if that means anything. I mean, do you read anything more into that, that they kept some and, and not others? I mean. It seems like maybe they think there are two, two sets of rules here in terms of uh, places where people gather, a workplace versus a healthcare setting. Um, the healthcare setting being one of those things where the possibility of transmission is a little bit higher and you're also not wanting to have your workers infect people who come in needing treatment when they're already weakened. Nobody goes to a hospital for fun. They go there because they're sick or they're injured or both. And that's, it's kind of that weird Solomon splitting the baby kind of thing, I guess. I don't know. Um, and we'll see how all this goes down. But uh, it, uh, again, it would help if people just would recognize recognize the, the importance of it so uh, sure sure but you know we got to catch up on our joe rogan podcast you know <laughs> oh i'm telling you reading some of the anti the the conspiracy theories i would laugh at it if, if people just didn't take it so take it for real and yeah. especially with the school closings oh my goodness there's one that uh there were two that that got my attention the conspiracy one is that it's a it's a it's to, to prime the pump for districts to start closing schools down. You know, that they're gonna in neighborhood schools that you know get ready, they're never gonna that open makes up total again. sense why someone would want to do that. Hey, let's just close it down. Let's okay. just close it down forever. And then the other one was this is really a big sick out led by the unions who've told all their teachers this is a time to call in sick and stay home until they give you a raise. And it's like okay. Yeah, like, like I'm hearing teachers coughing and and there are parents that are seeing teachers on Zoom coughing and sick and still trying to give lessons. And so, but what do you say? I mean, what, what do you do with that? I, I don't know. Uh, there's, people are stressed. When people are stressed, they are vulnerable to these kinds of thinking, I guess. And, and I can't think of a, a more 
universally stressful time for people right now than what we got going on in a pandemic. So yeah, I just, know, people I just, are getting sick, people yeah. are dying, workplace disruptions, the whole nine yards. Our whole our whole lives have been turned upside down a bit by this. We don't do the things we used to do as much anymore, and yeah, this shows uh, a lot of a lot of cracks and frays, so to speak. Yeah, and everyone has a keyboard and internet access, I guess. But True that yeah, a lot of time. <laughs> so you've got an interesting column coming up, and it's based on um, the Attorney General John O'Connor gave a speech last week to the Sand Springs Rotary that not only grabbed your attention, but other people as well, a lot of feedback on it. And I'll just let you explain what the quote was. It was basically, we should, I'll let you explain it because and it, I hope everyone reads it, but I'll let you. He was giving a speech at, I would assume a, a fairly friendly place, you know, Rotary Club, Sand Springs. And he made an interesting statement that Sand Springs reporter picked up on and did a, wonderful job in reporting this where he said he said two things one of the things he said is not all of the time is majority rule correct and then he mentioned some things that you know supported that so i was like well you know you got something there you know dred scott decision not great uh plus ev ferguson not good majority of the supreme court went for that and we've had different laws that have have been bad and we've probably majority elected some people we wish we wouldn't have. And then he went on to say that what we should really have, and I'm paraphrasing here, is we should base our values or base our decisions on God the creator. Mm -hmm. Now, I thought that was interesting, not in what he said, but what's not said. And what's not said is who decides what God's will is? Who among those who govern us has that pipeline to the Almighty to determine what policies we need to enact that would uh, bring favor from above? So right, it's that I'm, whole, you know, as long as humanity has been around, it's who speaks for God. Yeah, and I'm being a little snarky here, but this is a very serious thing. Right. Uh, no, it, think it, about it, it is. It's if you have this uh, patina of divine favor, like you're doing God's will, you're the guy that God chose. Uh, that carries a lot of strength, uh, and it lets you maybe get away with some things that you wouldn't be able to ordinarily. We've seen a lot of historical examples of that, and in our own history, we have seen our founders, the framers of the Constitution, look at their own pasts, from where they came from in Europe and such, and understand that, you know, we don't want that. We don't need people bringing this element in here to say that they are more right than anybody else because God said so. It's pretty easy to use uh, the name of God to do that's some pretty interesting things. So right, well, and you know that it's um, there's also, if you recall, and I forget the legislation, but there's legislation proposed that would create an, a, a the King James version, the official public school Bible. Yes. I don't even like giving ink to it because I think it's just a political. You know, it's just it should not get out of committee. But I mean, but there are people out there who believe a that there should be an official Bible for a public school, but that a certain one should be it. 
And, you know, I'm a Catholic, so we, you know, we have a different version versus, you know, all these, and, and it's just, it, it's too much. You yeah, know? What are we doing and, here? And, and also, it's like, to me, religious freedom shows us, it shows us the lessons on how we can bridge differences, that we live in a society where we have mm-hmm. Hindus and Buddhists and Jewish people and various shades of Christianity, and people don't believe at all, you know, mm-hmm. and that's fine. And so we've somehow have a document that allows us to live in a nation with this. The First Amendment has been extremely resilient and timeless in this regard, because that was a type of thing when when you're looking at, going back to that bill you're talking about, Mm -hmm. people shed blood over what translation of the Bible you used. Mm-hmm. Not just whether you were Protestant or Catholic or whatever, but actually what translation you use. People fought battles over that kind of stuff. We've never had to do that here. And there's a reason why. It's because we have the First Amendment. The First Amendment gives us freedom, and it also prevents the government from establishing anything like that. So it goes back to your question, what are we doing here? Why can't we just let people believe how they believe? And maybe let's tackle some real issues. Yeah, we got it, a few. I guess I, it, it shouldn't get anywhere, but it does. It it does show that I think there are some people and people in leadership that want to hone in on the differences. And and to me, the beauty of what we can do as a nation is find the oneness among us. Because and sometimes it's just a, a, a small thread of something, but it's something to hang on, and it and it served us so well. But you know, you had had mentioned uh, it, it when when mentioning Plessy versus Ferguson and some of these other really bad uh, Supreme Court decisions. And there's this thought that, you know, er, rights are linear, that everything gets better, you know, as, but, but it doesn't always, there's always setbacks. And, and I was NPR, there was a, a speaker talking about that this morning, that when you look at the civil war after that, uh, black people had the right to vote, that it was, you know, there were black senators and black lawmakers sent to Congress, but then, but then, you know, you had all these Jim Crow laws go in and you had some of these things that then it's, it's decades of reversal of those rights. And so, you know, when we think about rights and, and, and how we, we view that, that, yeah, some of those were bad decisions, but it doesn't mean we can't overcome them. And I think that we have to embrace those you know, those, those common threads that, that make us better. But, um, you know, that does, uh, we have, and that reminds me of MLK. MLK is coming up Monday and, um, voting rights was right in the center of Martin Luther King's civil rights Mm -hmm. life. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's why he, that's why Selma, that's why they marched across the bridge at Selma is, is over. They couldn't vote. And, uh, I will, uh, uh, kind of, uh, pitch a column, an op-ed that's going to run Monday, uh, former representative and Senator Judy Eason McIntyre in, from Tulsa was at the March on Washington when she was 18 years old. So she writes a little bit about that. She also writes about the current Voting Rights Act that, mm-hmm. you know, if what would Dr. King say today, looking at what's happened to that act that he fought for, so hard for, that's been gutted that we have states that are enacting laws to make it harder to vote. And so she writes a very good piece arguing that clearly his work isn't done. And 
Um, and you wrote the editorial that will run Monday. You probably mm -hmm. started looking at some of his quotes. Any, I always enjoy this time of year because it, it gives me, um, when I start reading and, and looking at some of the old video of those speeches, mm -hmm. it does give you hope. It does give you this sense of, of we can be better. And so what, was there anything that when you were getting that editorial ready that it inspired you or stuck with you or just gave you a thought? There was two things that, that stuck out to me is the speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. are extremely aspirational and inspirational. You know, he talked, you know, and within... I don't know if it was within days or within hours of his death of having seen the promised land from the mountaintop. You know, we've heard that quoted quite a bit. And in the March on Washington, you know, he, he lists out all of these things that, you know, I have a dream and he lists out all these amazing things that he sees as possible and necessary for us as a country to grab. And it's very popular right now to spread all the love about MLK and what a guy he was and what an amazing uh, order leader and everything else that he, that he represents for our country's history. But, you know, it wasn't all nice and inspirational and uplifting. I liken Martin Luther King to the prophets of old. And I don't mean prophets like predicting history. I mean, telling hard truths. And that's what he did. He told hard truths. He showed people what it was like for Black Americans and for a lot of other disenfranchised communities, what life was like for them. And I thought one of the more interesting things that he wrote, and I'm just going to kind of look over here and read this one quote from a book that he wrote in 1957 called Stride Toward Freedom. And he says, true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. And I thought that was interesting because a lot of what we still hear now when any big protests come up is, it's just bringing up division. It's just bringing up division. It's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. You're telling people who have a real grievance to be quiet because it's going to be divisive. Mm -hmm. And MLK has something to say about that, too, um, from his letter from the Birmingham jail. Man, that is my favorite piece of writing of his. Yeah. First, I must confess, over the last few years, I've been gravely disappointed by the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner but the white matter who is more devoted to order than to justice. Boy, does that not speak to today. Oh, it does. It, it, I, that is my favorite of all the things he's written. I love reading that piece every year because it, it shows that it, it's not all, you know, peace, love, and understanding. No. That this is a, you know, these are fundamental rights that are being denied and, and yeah. they're being denied today. And, and, those protests are about that and even though a person doesn't see the injustices we have mm -hmm. we have to listen to those who said it's happened to mm -hmm. us here's how it's happening to us and because there are subtle ways there are systemic things that, that are in place that really were put into place decades ago that still mm -hmm. have an effect 
And, and to me, as an American, I have to listen to my neighbors who say, wait, some, this is happening to me. It's not right. And here's how and why it happened. And, and to break that down. And, and so reading that letter every year has, is something that just reminds me that, that it's not done. And, and yeah. rights, there is always someone ready to take away a right. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just because you've gotten rights doesn't mean that a power structure doesn't come along and say, oh, wait, we're going to water that down. We're going to backtrack it. And that's that scares me a bit, too, because we've seen that happen yeah. over and over again. But something about with uh, with Dr. King, too, is those stern rebukes of a letter from a Birmingham jail and the I have a dream speech. They work hand in glove. And in that, what I mean is that he is actually calling us to uh, live up to our nation's ideals. And that's one of the direct lines from his I have a dream speech saying, he says, I have a dream one day this nation will rise up and live out its true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Mm -hmm. And that goes back, he's hearkening back to our founding documents. Mm -hmm. We've always had this high, high ideal for America. And the truth is, is that's what the United States is founded on as an idea, a high ideal. Now, how we much we've lived up to has been pretty uneven, but we got to keep trying. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, that's kind of a, a layman's way of, of looking at that and saying, or interpreting what Dr. King was saying. We got to keep trying. Mm -hmm. Yes. And with that, I think we'll bring this to a close. There'll be much more to talk about next week. Yes, and, um, you know, with always, I hope everyone reads the paper, reads what we do and uh, writes us, give us some feedback. Maybe we can address some of these questions in our weekly podcast. So there you thank go. you very much.